In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. The Gospel reading which you just heard began with Mark chapter 9, verse 2. I want to begin by reading to you the immediately preceding verse. Mark 9, 1. Our Lord says, Assuredly, I say to you, that there are some standing here who will not taste death till they see the kingdom of God present with power. The some of whom Jesus spoke, we find out, were Peter, James, and John, who six days later beheld his glorious countenance on the holy mountain, Mount Tabor, according to church tradition. And on that day, the inner circle of the twelve was given a glimpse of Christ's glorious majesty and granted a foretaste of the age to come, of the glory of the kingdom, which astoundingly and ironically would come on earth as in heaven by way of the cross. This paradox was understandably a stumbling block for the disciples and as we read, especially for Peter, that life issues out of death, that Christ, who is the life and light of all men, in order to enlighten mankind, must first enter into the darkness of death. In the transfiguration, Peter, James, and John were given a preview of the promised land, able to, as it were, spy for a moment the land on the other side of the Jordan River. Before the great battle, they catch a glimpse of the victor and the victory in all his and all its glory. Mark tells us in today's gospel that during the transfiguration, Moses, Elijah, and our Lord We're talking. And Luke's gospel tells us what they were talking about. Thanks, Luke, because we want to know, right? They were discussing, Luke tells us, the Exodus. And not the one in Egypt, but the one in Jerusalem, wherein Christ would free us from slavery to sin, death, and Satan by offering himself as the perfect and spotless Paschal Lamb of God on the altar of the cross. The transfiguration occurred, according to tradition, 40 days prior to the crucifixion, prior to that offering. So the forthcoming season of Lent, and you're going to hear this a lot, you already have, you've been with us for a while, is indeed a 40-day journey into the wilderness with our Lord, whereby virtue of our union with him, armed with the weapons of prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, aided by angels and empowered by the Holy Spirit, we do battle with and share in Christ's victory over the world, the flesh, and the devil. But also, if not primarily, Lent is a journey to the cross. From mountain to mountain from Tabor to Golgotha. And it is the vision of the glorified Christ on the Holy Mount which will motivate 
and sustain us through the, quote, suffering of Lent. And the transfiguration reminds us of the goal of our discipline, which is to, as the collect says, today's collect, be changed into his likeness from glory to glory. The goal of repentance, the goal of mortification, the goal of spiritual disciplines is transformation into the likeness of Jesus Christ. It's not so that you can earn a spot on the team. It's not so that you can merit a place in God's family. What does the Apostle John say? Beloved, now are we the children of God. It's so that in practice, in actuality, we would become Christians, that is, little Christ. That our thoughts, that our desires, that our words, that our actions would be those of Christ. That we would be transformed by the renewing of our minds by putting on the mind of Christ. And this transformation into the likeness of our Lord is not only the goal of Lent, but of life. The glory which Christ revealed on the Holy Mount to Peter, James, and John was a glimpse of the glory in which they would share, a foretaste of the light in which they and all the faithful will bask and with which they will shine in the age to come. Our Lord says of the righteous that in the age to come, they will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. The transfiguration then is a glimpse of our end, of our telos. It's the answer to the question, what is God doing in my life? That's what he's doing. He's making you by grace into the likeness of his son, Jesus Christ. That's what Christianity is about. That is what the church is up to. Union with Christ. Participation in God. That every bit of our being would be permeated and transformed and illuminated by God's life. That is by his grace. 1 John 3 says that, again, beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Boggles the mind. The transfigured, glorified Christ on the Holy Mount is a snapshot of our destiny in him. That God, by grace, grants us a participation in his own life in which we are transformed into the likeness of his only begotten son. This is not, for the philosophically astute, this is not pantheism. 
Glorification does not mean the obliteration of your individuality, that you will be absorbed into God and be no more. You will remain a distinct and unique person. In fact, and it's difficult for us to learn this lesson, the more like Christ you become, the more yourself you will be. Those in this world who seek to be differentiated and unique by means of money, power, and fame, ironically, they're all the same, aren't they? They often end up at the bottom of the same ditch. The most that you can be truly you in your individuality and uniqueness is when you become most like the one who made you and redeemed you. Elijah shows up on the Mount of Transfiguration, and we heard of him and his successor, Elisha, in our Old Testament lesson. And it's tough to keep those straight. I still struggle with it. Wait, was that Elijah or Elisha? The names are very similar in English. And 2 Kings 2 is the account of Elijah's translation into heaven. And Elijah is one of two people in Holy Scripture who did not die. Does anyone know for bonus points who the other person is? His name is Enoch. Enoch. So read Genesis chapter 5, and amidst this litany of obituaries that so-and-so lived this long and then he died, it says this of Enoch, that he walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Just a little Bible trivia for you. For Elijah's glorious departure, the Lord sends him first to Bethel. He goes to Bethel, then to Jericho, then to the Jordan. Bethel means house of God. So you could say that Elijah went to Bethel in order that he might enter Bethel, all caps, the celestial dwelling place of God. Elijah begins this three-stage journey, and he didn't want any company. But Elisha refuses to leave his side. At each impasse, Elijah tells Elisha to stay behind. And each time, Elisha says, As the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. Made me think of Samwise Gamgee when Lee Frodo's side. Nerdy thing to think of, perhaps, but there it is. He won't leave his master, his teacher, his spiritual father. After the two cross the Jordan on dry ground, Elijah invites Elisha to ask him for something. You won't go away. What do you want? I mean, I'm leaving. And I, I do like in our lesson where the prophets say, you know your master's leaving today, and Elisha's like, yeah, I know, shut up, be quiet. <clears throat> Elijah invites his protege to ask him for something. And Elisha asks for a double portion of the spirit that is upon 
his master and teacher. And Elijah says, okay, but you, you, gotta, you gotta see the fireworks go off. You gotta see me be taken up into heaven. If you do, your request will be granted. If not, then you're out of luck. The double portion of the spirit upon Elijah given to Elisha after Elijah's being caught up is a type of the Holy Spirit being subsequently and consequently given to the apostles and the church after the ascension of our Lord. Thus, Elijah's translation into heaven is a type of the ascension. The double portion given points to the giving of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. The Lord tells the disciples in John chapter 16, a puzzling phrase for many of us, tells the disciples that it is to their advantage that he goes away because they will then have the Holy Spirit. Jesus ascends on high as both God and man, having won the victory, and he raises us up with him and gives gifts to mankind in and by the Holy Spirit. So let us, especially as we prepare to keep a holy Lent, imitate the prophet Elisha, clinging to our master, our teacher, as he did to his. And let us in worship and in prayer, in service and in sacrament, seek the glorious and illumined face of God in Jesus Christ. And as we stretch forth in labor and in prayer, may the Lord grant us at least to grasp the hem of his garment, that in doing so we may be healed of all our infirmities, whether of body or soul. And let us make this request of our master, of our Lord, that he would deign to transform us into his likeness. And as we make this request day by day, let us do so with boldness and confidence, trusting in the promises of God, the promises found in Holy Scripture, namely that our Heavenly Father knows how to give good gifts to his children, that he lavishes such gifts upon us, and that he will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. And remember that the Father's utmost desire for his children is to transform us into the likeness of his Son, even Jesus Christ our Lord, who with the Father and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns one God, world without end. Amen.